Turning your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25 is our passage for this morning. We're back in this wonderful gospel, and the title of this morning's message is Responsibilities of Kingdom Citizens. Responsibilities of Kingdom Citizens. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25, and this is the word of the Lord. And he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, And whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Well, I don't know how many of you remember back in grammar school, um, that little game that they used to play in grammar school, show and tell. How many of you remember that game? Some of us have to look way, way back, right? Back in grammar school. No offense, no offense. But all of us remember that, that, that wonderful opportunity that we had in school, public school, or whatever, to bring something that was precious to us, something that was valuable, something that was really important to show and tell, to tell the class about why that particular thing was important to us and all of that. I remember one of my first jobs that I had after college uh, trying to make ends meet was, to, was working at a um, child care center. And boy, did I get an opportunity to see the behavior of kids who with uninvolved parents in that environment. It was very difficult to keep those things calm, uh, keep those kids calm and, and uh, teach them how to behave well with very little parental involvement, if, if any. But you could always count on the day where there was show and tell. Once a month we did that, and so we asked the little kids to bring something that was, that was, that they were proud of, something that was precious to them, something that they could show to the rest of the class and tell them about why that little object or whatever was important to them. So kids would bring things like stuffed animals and, and talk about why that stuffed animal was so precious to them and who gave it to them and all of that. Um, some of the kids actually thought that those things were actually living, which was a little bit odd, <clears throat> and the parents would encourage that. Other kids brought favorite toys. This is the age where kids still played with Hot Wheel cars. So some kids would bring things like that, or maybe a doll. Um, some kids would bring a pet. Maybe they brought a kitty or a pet or a dog just for that day, as long as the pet was safe. Some kid decided to bring a snake one day. So that freaked out about half of the students, and that was a whole a moment of distraction in and of itself. But, you know, during those times, all eyes were attentive to what those kids brought to show and tell the rest of the class. Um, and they were captivated by by um, these precious things that they were very proud of. And they were respectful towards one another. And essentially, beloved, what we have in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25 here, is a show-and-tell passage. A show-and-tell passage. And what I mean by that is this. Jesus, here in verses 21 through 25, teaches a parable designed to emphasize to his disciples, his followers... Christians, that they were to be people who were to live to show and tell about Him to a lost world. When we truly treasure Christ, 
We will live to show and tell about him if he's really precious to our hearts and lives. And so Jesus teaches this parable to his disciples. Now you got to remember this passage and at least in Mark, the context of this particular passage, it follows the parable of the sower and the soils, if you remember, that we saw the last couple of Sundays we've been in Mark, which really focuses the parable of the soils on the various ways that various hearts receive the word of God. We saw the hard heart, those people who are hostile or indifferent to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We saw that some people are are superficial or shallow as far as their response to the truth. They don't understand that becoming a Christian is more than than, uh, about religion. It's about a relationship being restored with, with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The superficial doesn't understand the cost of following after Jesus Christ, that they will be opposed, that they will be persecuted. We saw the divided hearts, that there are people who respond to the Word of God, and for a time it seems like they want to walk with Christ, but they're also holding on to the world. They think that that they can hold on to Christ on one hand and hold on to the world and their sinful desires on the other. And eventually, Jesus says, for the divided heart, the Word is choked out of the life of that particular person. All three of those first soils describe the unsaved person, the non-Christian who doesn't respond to the Word of God as the fourth soil does, the tender-hearted, which describes the person who receives the Word, centered on the person and work of Christ, who believes it, who loves Christ, and bears much fruit continually and at different levels. And so it's on the heels of that parable of the soils, and in particular, that fourth soil, the tender-hearted person, that verses 21 through 25, then Jesus makes the point that the ongoing fruitfulness of that fourth soil shows itself in your ongoing commitment to A, share the truth with others, and B, continually strive to practice the truth so that the truth is not undermined by your very life. You see, the disciples were that fourth soil. That's what he's addressing specifically here in verses 21 through 25. The disciples had come to know Christ. They had come to commit their lives to Jesus Christ. But they were not to be comfortable. They were not to live complacently. They were not to go through the motion, simply cruising through life, fixated upon the things of this world like all three of the other soils who weren't following Christ, but they were focused on other things in life. No, his disciples were to be investing themselves into the kingdom. And beloved, this is a very pertinent passage for us, not just because of what Jesus said to the disciples during that day 2,000 years ago or so, but for us as well. We need to hear these words from our Lord as well. Because there are, there are those of us who have received the truth of the gospel, who have believed it, and are now following Jesus Christ. And what this passage would say to us is this, you and I as a pattern of life are to be about sharing Christ and living Christ before a lost world. We are to be showing and telling about Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Because you are a child of the King. Because if you've trusted in Jesus Christ genuinely from your heart, you've repented of your sins and trusted in Him, you are a citizen of the Kingdom of God. You are, if I could put it this way, Royal children, royal children, children of the king. And as such, we have a responsibility 
to show and tell Christ to a world that desperately needs to hear about this one as their only, only hope. And these are urgent words to the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to deeply impress these words upon his disciples. If you notice, these are weighty matters. So Jesus keeps urging his disciples to hear his words so as to appropriate them. If you notice with me in chapter 4 and verse 3, we've seen this before. He says, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. Listen. It's a command to continually be obeyed. Present tense command. Continually listen so as to appropriate is the idea there in chapter 4 verse 3. Look in verse 9. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear or listen. Another command, exhortation to continually be obeyed. Chapter 4, verse 23. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Chapter 4, verse 24. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more will be given you besides. The idea there is that the disciples were to be devotedly, carefully giving heed to what Jesus was saying so as to do something about it. These were important words from our Lord Jesus Christ. They were to listen. They were to give heed because of who was speaking to them. Do you have people in your life, maybe your spouse, maybe somebody, a mentor, or maybe a family member, maybe a father or mother figure, do you have individuals in your life who speak into your life, and when they speak to you, you listen? Do you have individuals like that? I mean, we're called to listen to everybody, right? I mean, good influences. But there are those individuals in life And I have people like that, my spouse being being one of them and some mentors, that when they talk to me, I especially want to listen to what they have to say because they know me, because they care about me, because they are going to say hard things knowing that I'm going to take them and they're trying to help me. Well, the disciples needed to listen to Jesus here. They've committed their lives to Him. Here is the Creator and Sustainer of the universe, and they need to take Him at His word. And there are two primary ways that Jesus gives them and us here two primary responsibilities that he calls them to fulfill as his followers. Here are two responsibilities that royal children, children of the king, should faithfully be living out in life. And I will summarize them or encapsulate them this way. We are to be glowing and growing in Christ. Royal children keep continually strive to glow for Christ on this earth. And secondly, keep growing in Christ. Keep growing in Christ. Glowing and growing. I want us to look at those two particular priorities of kingdom citizens. Okay, Take those two kingdom responsibilities and have us ponder them and look at the implications of them. First of all, royal children keep glowing for Christ. When something glows, what does it do? It attracts, it shines, it illumines, right? We are to be glowing for Christ. Jesus makes this point so simple and so straightforward that you can't miss it. Look in verse 21. And he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? Simple questions that the Lord asks here. As always, he's the master heart surgeon, right? So he asked pinpointed questions designed to get them to think about these, these, uh, um, a lamp in particular here. And they knew you can't hide or, or conceal a lamp. That is not its purpose. What do you do with a lamp? Even in those days, you light it and you put it somewhere where it illumines a dark room. 
Now, lamps in those days were very different, not like ours today. They were these small clay sort of saucers with a small opening for olive oil, which was essentially the fuel for that particular lamp. And when these lamps were were made, they would pinch an area of that saucer to provide a, a place for a flaxen wick. And then they would also make a small handle for carrying that particular lamp. Sort of like, a, like holding a small tea kettle or a coffee pot, these lamps were. But the point of Jesus' illustration isn't even the, the anatomy of a lamp, is it? Like it never is. More important, excuse me, what Jesus was pointing to was, was the purpose of that lamp. What was it designed to do, guys? These lamps were not designed to be hid under a basket, he says, or under a bed or a reclining couch. They were designed to bring light. To shine, to illumine a dark room. Everyone knew this. It was foolish. It was absurd. It was counterproductive to hide, conceal the lamp that could illumine that particular room. It had its purpose. And that's what Jesus is aiming to get them to think about here, right? Everything that you, that you um, uh, create has a particular purpose or a design, right? And the lamp had a particular design. You know, a few years ago, I was at a Dodger game. And there were these um, two young teens who a few rows up from us were basically um, had bought these uh, Dodger noisemakers, these two sticks, and they kept pounding them and making noise. And whenever the public announcer would say, okay, make some noise, right? You guys have been there at Dodger Stadium. These guys are pounding on those things. And there were two guys that were drunk uh, close to them who were just livid. They're like, what in the world are these kids doing? They started cussing at them and complaining at them. Why are they making so much noise? Eventually, they called uh, one of the ushers over, and one of the ushers came over and said, Sirs, what's, what's the problem? And these guys went on to say, these guys, these young guys, they keep making noise with those noisemakers. And the usher kind of looked at them as if they were fools. said, I'll never forget those words. Sir, what do you think that those noisemakers are for? Right? <laughs> Duh. Their purpose was to make noise, right? Was to make noise. This is kind of a a couple of duh kinds of questions from our Lord to the disciples here. What is a lamp for? What is a lamp for? It's to illumine a dark room, right? And the implication, of course, and you get this, is that disciples, you who are my followers, you are to do the same with the truth. You are to glow in this world for me, right? You are to make some noise. And beloved, that was the case for the disciples then, and that's the case for us now, isn't it? That we who have been given the light of the truth, rather than keeping the truth to ourselves or hiding it, you and I, if you profess to know Jesus Christ, are to be glowing for Christ by telling people about Jesus Christ. You are to be declaring the gospel, the good news concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ to the world. You are to be telling people that they were created by a holy and perfect God creator and that they have offended and rebelled against this creator. That they are sinners in the hands of an angry God who is going to pour out his wrath upon them because of their sin. And that there's nothing that they can do to save themselves, not works of religion, not works of humanitarian efforts. There's nothing that they can do to save themselves, to be rescued from their sins. But God, because of his great love, because of His grace, because of His mercy, 
has poured His wrath upon His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to die in the place of sinners as a substitute for sinners, who paid the debt for their sin that they could never, ever pay. They need to put their trust in this Jesus Christ to believe in Him that they might be rescued from their sin, from the penalty of their sin, and have eternal life and be reconciled to their Maker. We are to be, to be sharing, beloved, glowing for Christ by sharing the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And the sad thing is that many of us are way too quiet. We're presently so quiet, we're not making noise. We are passive. We are either afraid of sharing Christ. We are either feeling inadequate. We feel ill-equipped. Maybe we're just plain selfishly preoccupied with so many things in this world, like that third soil that is divided, or that second soil just focused upon the things of this world. Or for others of us, we are just flat out lacking compassion for sinners. We just flat out lack compassion. Oh, you would never say that you hate people who are out in the world who don't know Jesus Christ. You would never say that, but you show a certain level of hatred by being indifferent and simply just careless to people who need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. You just don't share it. You're not glowing for Christ by sharing the gospel message. I suppose the disciples of Jesus could have made some of the same excuses, right? We're afraid of the religious leaders, these masses. They just, they're, they're fickle, they're superficial. I I suppose that they from the very beginning could have been making the same excuses, but from the very beginning, beloved, in chapter 1, Jesus calls followers so that he, they would become fishers of men, and he modeled and exemplified that for them, right? They were to be fishers of men. And so what he's doing here is he's just using different words. This is, as somebody has put it, a pre-Great Commission commission here. A pre-Great Commission commission. Jesus reminds them again, of why they're here, why He's called them to follow Him. Look in verse 22. For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Once again, this is a matter of utmost urgency, is what our Lord is saying in verse 23. And what Jesus is saying is, it's time to glow for me, to share the light of Christ with the world. These words need to be understood even in the light of what Jesus said to His disciples back in chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, if you remember, where the disciples asked Jesus about the meaning of the parables, and the Lord essentially gives them a twofold purpose for why He's teaching in parables, this style called parables. Remember what the twofold purpose was? To reveal truth to those who were embracing Him, namely His disciples, those who were following Him, and to conceal the truth from those who were rejecting Him, namely the religious leaders, those who were obstinate, those who were unbelieving. Just like the, the, southern, the southern kingdom Israelites in, in Isaiah's day. That's why he quotes Isaiah chapter 6. Because just like those southern kingdom Israelites were rebellious, no matter how many times Isaiah went and preached the gospel and told them to repent, they didn't repent. And Jesus says, essentially, that's what's happening today, people, disciples. So I'm concealing the truth from those who are rejecting me, namely the religious leaders. And we might assume, having read that and looked at that, that this concealing of the truth from his enemies was to be permanent, but it wasn't. It wasn't to be a permanent um, concealing. 
What Jesus tells his disciples here is that the light of the truth, which in the present was privately revealed to them, beloved, was soon to be proclaimed publicly by his disciples. The gift of the gospel was to be shared with sinners. It was to be unwrapped for them. Kind of like Christmas time, right? When you wrap the, the gifts in these beautiful, these beautiful wrapping paper. And it's only for a time, isn't it? You wrap those gifts for a time, temporarily, but eventually what's the aim? You're going to have your kids or other people whom you love, your loved ones, open those gifts and be blessed by what is there, right? Um, I remember as kids, we used to sneak over by the tree late at night. Some of you kids probably do this today. Did this this last Christmas. We used to pinch the wrapping paper to get a sneak peek at the gift. Any of you kids ever do that? Some of you adults? See, some of you are honest, other ones are lying, right? We all did that. Come on, right? My parents would come over and they would always find out, of course. Our parents always know. Somebody tells them, right? What's the matter with you? You're spoiling it. You need to wait for the right time, right? Just a matter of time for us to be able to enjoy that beautiful gift. Well, essentially, beloved, our Lord is telling His disciples, the right time has come. The time has come for the gift of the gospel to be unveiled, to be unwrapped, to be preached openly. What was hidden is now to be revealed openly. They've watched Jesus preach the gospel. He's modeled this for them. Now in Mark chapter 6 and verse 12, we're going to see in a few weeks, the disciples went out and preached that men should repent. They go out and, and, and call sinners to repentance and to trust in Jesus, the one true Messiah. And then obviously in the Great Commission, after He rises from the dead and before His ascension, He will give them the the Great Commission to to make disciples. See, their purpose as His followers, as His disciples, was to bear witness concerning His name. To make Jesus shine. To glow for Christ. They had been given the light of the truth. Who is that light, beloved? Beloved. Christ. Christ is the light of the world, isn't He? He is the light of the world. I thought John chapter 1, verse 9 puts it, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Who was it that came into the world as the light into a dark world? Jesus Christ, the God-man. Jesus is the light of the world. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said that about Himself. I am the light of the world. He who follows Me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And there was a time, beloved, when we were walking in the darkness. But now we've, been, we've come to the light who is Jesus Christ. He is the personified light of the world, isn't He? Well, you remember those dark days? Does the video play in your mind about the things that you used to do prior to knowing Jesus Christ? The video plays often, doesn't it? When we were walking in darkness, when we were walking in wickedness. But now we are to be different. Why? Because we have had a collision with the light of the world, Jesus Christ. We are to be forever different on this earth, right? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 says, For you, Christians, were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This is who you were. This is who you are now. Live in accordance with who you are now. With Practice who you are now positionally. You are the light. You are to walk in the light. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11 says, We are no longer to participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. What are some of those? 
We are no longer, beloved, to be shaped in our thinking by the world, by its values and its priorities. We are no longer in practice to be pursuing the things of this world. Even career and education and those things, those things can be pursued for the sake of the glory of God so that you would be able to make disciples. But if you don't have that as your aim, then you're wasting your life, you understand. Those are the things of the world. Detached from Jesus Christ. Life has no meaning, no purpose without Jesus, you understand. That's how Paul describes it. At one time you were dark, and part of that darkness was that you lived without God, having no hope in the world. To live without God at the center and the circum- as, a, as the center and the circumference of your life is to live in wa- and walk in darkness. Godless. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. The wonderful Sermon on the Mount. I was so thankful to hear that Pastor Alex is working through the Sermon on the Mount with our youth. That's wonderful. Talking about kingdom living in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And I want you to see this. We are now God's children. And as God's children, I want you to know, Christian, that you are to be a light bearer. You are a light bearer, reflecting the character of your Heavenly Father, glowing for Christ in a dark world. And listen to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 13, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now let me ask you, what is salt for? What is salt for? Flavoring, right? It helps with flavoring. How many of you have had food that lacks salt? And you made your eggs or your omelet and you forgot to put salt in it. Do you taste that? Absolutely, right? Salt is for flavoring, but it's also a preservative, isn't it? It's a preservative. Now, if salt loses its ability to preserve things or foods, what is that salt? Useless. It's ineffective. It's lost its sense of purpose, right? Jesus is saying kingdom citizens are to be like salt. Like salt in this world, like a preservative, effectively making an impact for Jesus. Beloved, we are not to be irrelevant in our community. We are not to be irrelevant in this world. We are seasoning for Christ in this world. Amen? That we are to make an impact for Jesus Christ in this world. He makes the same point with our metaphor in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Notice, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 15, nor does anyone light a lamp, sound familiar? And put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Well, that's the same metaphor that he used in Mark chapter 4, right? Our passage. You and I are kingdom citizens who are to tell and display Christ to the world, not hide ourselves. Not live in isolation, scared because of the way things are hard in our culture. Not being irrelevant. Not retreating. Beloved, so many of us are not functioning this way. We are not seeking to bring light to particular circumstances in this world. And we need to do it in a godly way. We need to speak into the issues uh, that are taking place in our culture in a godly fashion. Remembering that such were some of us. We used to think that way. We would have promoted certain laws that are being passed right now before Jesus Christ in just the same way, even even more aggressively. So we need to be gracious. 
We need to be gentle and patient, but use every means possible to, to, to with, with lo- in love, speak the truth of the Word of God into those issues, right? So many of us are not taking those opportunities. We're hiding. We're isolated. We're scared. Because we're looking too much to our own resources and our own smarts and our own abilities rather than the, the grace of God and the truth of the Word of God, beloved. Jesus adds another key way that we glow for Christ in the world. Look at chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. How are royal children to glow for Christ in this world? Answer, through your good deeds. Through your good works. Not good works for personal fame. For, so people can think what a great person you are out in the world. For self-glory, for personal notoriety, for the glory of our Heavenly Father, right? That the world might see through your life a reflection of who God is. A small light bearer, an image bearer that reflects the character of God. That they might see your Christ-like choices, your Christ-like priorities, your Christ-like contentment, that you are not after materialism and the things of this world, buying into things and drinking the Kool-Aid, the philosophy of the world. That the world might see your Christ-like charity, your love for God and your love for other people. See, that's why we're here. That people might see something of the glory of our Heavenly Father, beloved. We are to make much of Him, not much of self, right? Isn't that at the core of what salvation is? Think about it. All sin, whether it's legalistic self-righteousness, trusting in your own works, or wearing your heart on your sleeve, all sin ultimately is a reflection of this problem. Ready? Self-exaltation. When we put self on the throne that belongs to our Creator alone, who created us for His glory and to enjoy Him forever. All sin is a manifestation of idolatry, our sinful idolatry. Putting ourselves in the place that only belongs to God. But when the Lord saves us, when the Lord saves us, we are no longer to live for ourselves, but for Him who died and rose again on our behalf, right? We are to glorify God. I love 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 9-12. through 12. In fact, turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 9. Why are we here? Why are we here as Christians? You know, I love what Pastor John MacArthur has said a number of times. I don't know if it was original with him. But that, you know, as Christians, we can worship God supremely, more purely, more comprehensively, more um, honestly in heaven. What are we doing here as believers on this earth if we could worship God supremely? Why are we here on this earth? Because I don't know about you, but I would rather go home to be with Jesus right now than continue on this earth. This isn't getting any better in this world, is it? So why are we here? Why are we here? First Peter chapter 1 and verse 9, notice. But you, or chapter nine, uh, 2, verse 9, I'm sorry. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. This is speaking of Christians, believers, followers of Jesus. But here's the ultimate purpose for your position, your privileged position as royal citizens, if you will. 
so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, namely God the Father, who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Verse 10, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, because you are recipients of God's mercy, and what is God's mercy? God poured His wrath upon His own Son, who paid for your sins, believer, so that God withheld His wrath from you and instead gave you mercy. Because He poured His wrath upon His own Son. The reason why God could be merciful to sinners like you and I is not because God swept our sin under the rug. It's because He crushed Jesus on the cross, His Son, and punished Him for our sins. He paid for our sins. Right? So what does God give us? Mercy. Mercy. Salvation. Instead of punishment, He punished His own Son for us. So, in light of that mercy, look at verse 11. Beloved. I love that. You're loved. You're loved. See, it's biblical. Whenever I, talk, I, I refer to you guys as beloved, it's biblical, brothers and sisters. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentile, that is the non-believing world, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, listen to this, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. What is the purpose of God saving you and I so that now, not be on the basis of our good deeds, but unto good deeds, as we now do good deeds, self-sacrificially give ourselves to serve other people, including people out in the world, we might bring glory to God our Father who has saved us so that people may see gospel-transformed lives. How do we glow for Christ, beloved? We glow by sharing the actual message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we glow by displaying gospel-transformed lives through our good deeds, through sacrificial acts of service for one another and for those out in the world whenever the Lord gives us opportunities to do so. Would you say, beloved, that this is you, that this is your mindset? That your mindset is, I am here on this earth to glow for Christ, to make much of Jesus Christ, to de-elevate myself and everything that I do. And I strive by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit of God to make much of Jesus. Is that why you're here on this earth? Or are you just stuck in what you desire in life? Your priorities, your pursuits. And there are certain things that we could be pursuing absolutely with God at the center of those things. Absolutely. We might be people who want to make money, but we want to make money so that we could give and rightly steward that money and, and share for, and, and be about missions and give to the cause of Christ in this country and all over the world. We might want to pursue careers and certain places in education so that we can get into the workforce in some of these difficult contexts and make a difference for Christ and be salt and light in those environments. That is keeping God at the center of those priorities. But for others of us, frankly, God is nowhere to be found in some of those pursuits. Listen, is your mindset to do good deeds out in society in every way that you can so that you might bring glory to your heavenly Father who has saved you? Is that your mindset? Are you glowing for Christ today by sharing His message and displaying Him in the way that you live? So that people come to know Him. You know, I read a stat the other day that the average member of a church, 
has heard 4,000 plus sermons. This is approximate stats, of course. Sung over 20,000 songs over their lifetime. Participated in 8,000 plus private or public prayers. Are all of those things good things? Listening to the word, sermons, singing the praises, worshiping Christ, absolutely. Um, Participating in private or public prayer. All of those are spiritual disciplines that we should be pursuing. All of us in life as believers. But listen to this. But converted not one soul. Shared with not even one person. Many believers who were were, um, surveyed. All of these great activities, all of this knowledge, all of this training, all of this equipping... All of this great preaching via their church or online. I would say even more today. How much more do we have at our our disposal? You don't have to hear me ranting and raving every Sunday morning. You can hear the best preachers all over the world. Let me ask you something. What are you doing with what you are listening to? Are you stewarding it faithfully? And at the top of the list, beloved, are you sharing Christ with people who desperately are lost and who need to hear the hope of Jesus Christ? So many of us love knowledge, but knowledge puffeth up, right? If it's not driven by love and out of love for God and love for the lost, you are sharing that knowledge with other people who need to hear hear the message of Jesus Christ. Don't you remember how somebody shared with you? God uses means, and those means are people, right? We are to be spokesmen for God, sharing the message of Jesus Christ. Listen, if, if God, I'm, I'm so glad God is not like us, right? I mean, you go to your job, and you know what your supervisor or your boss does? You get this new job, they train you, they orient you to that job, they equip you, they give you everything that you need. And what is the purpose why they're doing all of that? Just so that you can enjoy the job and enjoy the rest of your time here on this earth? Make some money? They're equipping you for the purpose that you would be productive for that company, right? That you would bear fruit for that company, that you would recruit other, other partners. Otherwise, you get fired. Imagine if God was like that with many of us. You're not going to share Christ? You're fired. You're out of here. Right? I'm so thankful God doesn't treat us like that, beloved. And yet, we are absolutely accountable, even in a deeper way, for sharing our faith, for glowing for Christ on this earth. And many of us simply aren't doing that. See, we are to glow for Christ by sharing Christ with people and displaying Christ by our good works and loving service. And you know what? Oftentimes, beloved, we complicate this so much, don't we? We complicate this issue of evangelistic witness so much. You know what it takes, honestly, for all of us, including myself, is just being, being sensitive and praying, God, help me to be sensitive today. Pray this every morning. Help me to be sensitive to your divine appointments today. Those opportunities, those people that are going to come in my circles of influence, in my context, and help me to touch lives today for you. Pray that prayer, or along the lines of that prayer. You know, the other day, our neighbor... 80-something-year-old, dear little old woman. When we moved into this current living situation, her husband had just died. Her husband, I think, close to 60 years or 60-plus years, honey, right? Had just passed away when we moved in within a week of us moving, uh, moving into that place. And it's been an ongoing opportunity to minister to her. The other day, I get there with my kids, and she's out there in her front lawn looking around 
I barely could walk. She's looking around on the grass, trying to find something. And so I go up to her and I say, hey, such and such, how can I help you? What, what are you looking for? And she's practically blind now. That's, this has been a very hard year for her. She's lost most of her eyesight. She can't hardly see. She says, she says I really need help. I, need to, I, need to, I dropped the check for the landscaper. I need to be able to pay him. And so my kids and, and I started helping her in the front yard. We went over to our yard. She had walked around the, the sidewalks two or three houses over. So we're looking for that little check in all these places. And she's like, can you come to the backyard with me if we can't find it? And then, then come to the backyard. I have something else to ask you. She could barely see. She takes me to the backyard. She says, she says what is that right there? What is that? And I go over and it's this red thing on the floor. And basically she says, is that, is that a, a dead animal there? I said, no, no, such and such. It's actually just a, a rotten tomato. Just a rotten tomato. She says, oh, she says, I couldn't see at all. I thought it was a dead animal carcass in my backyard. Can you please pick it up? So we picked it up, put it in the bag for her, threw it out in the trash. And then we started just talking. And for a few minutes, you know what struck me, beloved? This lady was just so introspective, looking in her past and all of her regrets, wondering about what happened to her husband. Why did he leave her first? She was a hurting woman. And she just needed somebody to spend time with her. And I regret to say that oftentimes I'm so, so much in a hurry, so busy, doing so many things, that by the grace of God at that moment I was available to her. But that opportunity was there, not because I deserved it, but because of the grace of God, right? Listen, sometimes we complicate evangelistic witness so, so much, and yet the opportunities are there every single day. Just think about the context that you find yourself in. How are you touching the lives of those people there in your home, your children, your spouse, your relatives, your job environment, your neighborhood? How are you touching lives and shining for Jesus Christ? How are you doing that? You know, Sister Sharon Brown, and I, I know she's going to hate my guts for even mentioning her name. No, she's leaving us. She's moving to Florida. You know what I love about that, Sister? She is constantly, she is relentless uh, disciple maker, constantly investing herself into people. She is texting me this last week on her way to Florida in a, in a week or two, and she's at, telling me about this lady that she's witnessing to, and she wants to get her connected to a Spanish ministry. Obviously, Calvary doesn't have a Spanish ministry, so do I have a contact in the, in the local church here that has a Spanish ministry? And I said, yes, and we're texting each other, and I give it, I'm giving her contacts, constantly partnering together for the faith of the gospel, that woman. Praise the Lord. We need Sharon Browns here. Amen? We need to grow in that area, beloved, to shine for Christ, to glow for Christ by sharing about Jesus, by displaying His, His power, the power of the gospel through our mighty, through our good deeds, His mighty good deeds. Working through us. Well, back to Mark chapter 4. Secondly, secondly, royal children keep glowing for Christ. Royal children keep growing in Christ, growing in Christ. Look at Mark 4.24. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. He keeps urging them to, to listen to a, so as to apply themselves to what they're hearing from him, right? And here's your incentive to take care what you listen to, to what you apply. Here's the incentive. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more will be given you besides. Jesus uses that language of measure in the Sermon on the Mount that we just looked at in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, where he says, For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. There he was warning against self-righteous judgment. 
that the way that you judge others by the standard you hold others to, you will be held by that same standard. That was his point there. Here, our Lord, speaking in the context of of fruitfulness, remember the context, fruitfulness with reference to receiving and applying the Word of God, He is saying that for those who apply the truth faithfully, more will be given them. That's His point. More will be given them. Remember, He's already identified His true family as those who do God's will back in chapter 3, verse 35, right? Right? And then in the, in, the ten, in the parable of the soils, a tender heart are those who receive the word and bear much fruit progressively and continually. So he's been emphasizing faithfully stewarding the truth, the word of God that contains the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying isn't something new here. He's simply using different language as our Lord constantly does, saying the same things in different ways to impress upon them the need to appropriate the truth. Why? Because there's a reward. There's blessing. There's a return. There's a reaping of the benefits depending on your faithfully stewarding what you know, beloved. He explains it in verse 25, if you notice. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. What's he talking about? He's talking about the person who has the truth because they've embraced the truth. They've believed it. They're applying it. That person will be rewarded to him. More shall be given. You know what? This is the, this is the principle of you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. You sow a right attitude to the word that embraces it and appropriates it to your life and obedience, you will reap the blessing. And this is not talking, as the false teachers say, about material blessing. You will have everything if you just do the X, Y, Z. You will have everything that you need. You'll never lack cars and houses and all of that. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about spiritual fruit. Manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Spiritual influence for Christ when you apply the Word of God. Sometimes that might mean rejection when you share the message of Jesus. That's fruit too. As long as you're faithfully sharing the gospel, somebody rejects it. Hey, listen, you were faithful. That's fruitfulness as well because you're dropping the message of the gospel upon that person's lap, making them responsible for their decision before the Lord, right? That's fruitfulness. The same is true the other way. By contrast, look at verse 25. Whoever does not have, that is the person who doesn't receive the word and apply the truth, even what he has shall be taken away from him. For that person, even the little that that person knows but doesn't apply will be lost. Will be lost. Makes us think of the first three soils, right? The hardened soil, the the shallow soil, the divided soil. All of them bear no fruit because they don't do anything with the gospel, with the word of God. They don't apply it. They don't appropriate it. Therefore, they don't bear any fruit. It's a principle of life, isn't it? You ever hear the the phrase, use it or lose it? You ever hear that? Use it or lose it? You know, people often ask me about my kids' musical abilities and, and all of that. And I always tell them, you know what? Whatever good you see in my kids, as far as musical talent goes, it's their mom. I am literally an idiot. <laughs> literally. Okay? I don't excel at anything. So whatever good you see music, I have not, a, not an, a percentage point of musical talent in me. Okay? But, Brad Kelly, you're going to like this. I would have you know that there was a time when I was in junior high that I actually took a semester of piano. All right? I know, I know. It's like, what? Hernandez? No way. Okay, it doesn't do anything right. 
I did take a semester of piano, and I was actually pretty good. This is when the public school system actually believed that kids should know some things. So I took a semester of piano in L.A., and I was actually pretty good, and then they got rid of it, and that was the end of that, okay? So I lost it. I lost it. And I would have you know, too, that then in my early 20s, when, my fir- when we had our firstborn, I was trying to teach him um, the, um, actually, mid-20s. When I was in my mid-20s, we were trying to teach him the guitar, the guitar. So I actually started taking lessons from a seminary student who played the guitar at our former church. And I actually did that for about six months. Eventually, though, the guy ended up moving on. We stopped taking lessons, stopped practicing. And guess what happened? I lost it. And I was actually pretty good, even though I had a horrible voice. See, I stopped practicing. I stopped applying myself to those things that I had learned. That happens, doesn't it? I mean, I could have been the next Christopher Parkening, probably, if I would have kept it up. (laughs) Or maybe Tchaikovsky, right? Am I saying it right, Titus? Tchaikovsky? But I didn't. I lost it. Why? Because we stopped taking lessons, stopped practicing Beloved, you know what? It's the same thing in the spiritual realm, isn't it? Same thing, even more so. Your spiritual growth, listen to me, this is very important. Your spiritual growth is first and foremost dependent upon the grace of God and the power of the Spirit in your life. Hear that? It doesn't matter how much you discipline yourself. It doesn't matter how much you do. It doesn't matter what you do. If God's grace and the power of the Spirit isn't working in your life, you will not grow. Amen? Jesus said in John 15, what? Abide in me. Apart from me, you can do some things. You can do nothing, right? So it's the grace of God first and foremost, but listen equally to me. Without God's grace, you cannot grow. That is true. But our growth in Christ also corresponds with how we are receiving and and practicing what we know from the word of God and what we are hearing. Did you hear that? Your growth in Christ also corresponds, that is sanctification is the ongoing process of becoming more and more like Jesus, and it's God and us working together to conform us to the image of Christ, right? Sanctification. Justification, single act, independent of anything that you could ever do, God's declaration of you being right in the sight of God based upon your faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that you do to be justified before God. It's all based upon the merits, 110%, the merits of the person and the work of Christ. Justification. You do nothing in justification. Sanctification. It's a process whereby you are to be walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, Allowing the word of Christ to dwell in you richly and applying that which God is exposing you to from his word so that you might grow in respect to salvation. Get it? This is what wisdom is. Wisdom, biblically in Hebrew thought, is wisdom is is knowledge skillfully applied in making God-glorifying decisions. Wisdom is knowledge, knowledge of God's word, skillfully applied to life so that you make God-glorifying decisions. Application of the word of God. It begins with knowledge. We should be pursuing God, knowing God. But we should also be meditating upon God and memorizing scripture and thinking of deliberately about ways that the spirit of God can apply his word to our lives, to our thoughts, to our inclinations, to our desires, to our view of God practically in the way that we speak in our priorities. All of those are areas of application. It's wisdom. 
All of this to highlight the crucial importance of being faithful stewards of the precious truth that God has given you as a Christian, that you might grow in Christ and become more and more like Jesus. Elsewhere, we see this principle of faithfully stewarding what we know. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, our Lord Jesus said, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Faithfully steward what God gives you. In the parable of the talents, you remember that parable in Matthew chapter 25? A few different individuals are given talents to invest. One is given five talents. One is given two talents. One is given one talent. Each of the the one that receives five and two, they double the investment, right? For their master, the profit rather, for their master. But what does the one that was given one talent do? Get scared? Even questions the character of his master who didn't have to even give him one talent? He doesn't even try to use it. What does he do? He buries it. He buries it. Selfishly. And do you remember what the master did? He took that one talent of that guy and gave it to the one who had doubled from five to ten. Remember that? Now he had eleven talents. He who has, more shall be given to him. But to the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Listen, beloved, it's it's an exhortation to us. That we should be people who are faithfully stewarding the truth of the Word of God. That we are continually, as royal children of God, growing in Jesus Christ by applying His Word to our lives, right? Listen, are you growing by faithfully appropriating God's Word to your life? For some of you, at the very basic level, this means that you need to surrender your life to Christ. Are you responding to the message of salvation? Do you recognize that you are a sinner And that you are guilty and condemned before a holy God? Does that grip you? Whenever you hear that message, are you just becoming more hardened and cold and callous to the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus? And that God, because of his great love, has provided someone, a substitute on the cross to pay for your sins? Have you come to commit your life to this one? The very basic level, if you're going to even grow in Christ, you need to be in Christ. Maybe that's the reason why some of you aren't growing at all in Christ. Because you are not really trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe you're depending upon some past profession, but there's been no fruit over the years. Maybe you're depending upon your church attendance or what family you're a part of. Or maybe some past act that you perform, but there's no fruit, no change of affections and desires for the Lord. You really don't care about anything that I've said this last hour. Listen to me. You need to plead for the grace and the mercy of God found only in Jesus Christ. Or you will perish forever in a place called hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I certainly don't want any of you to go there. You need to recognize the consequences of rejecting Jesus. Respond to the truth. You must be born again. You must be born again. What about those of us who are Christians? Are you growing by faithfully appropriating God's word to your life? Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I've become so passive. I love the Lord. I want to do what's right. I'm just not pursuing Him. I'm not reading His Word like I should. I'm discouraged. Things didn't turn out the way that I would have wanted to in certain areas of my life. 
I've grown complacent. I'm cruising. I'm cold. Listen to me. Today is a day when you can confess your sin to the Lord of complacency. That is a respectable sin in the church, beloved, especially the church in America. Repent of your complacency. Repent of your passivity. Repent of your desire for security and and comfortability in 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 this world. You're to be dying daily for Christ. Amen? Setting aside your sin and pursuing Christ-likeness by the mercy and the grace of God. Otherwise, we can't do anything apart from abiding in Jesus, right? Nothing. Repent of that. Confess it. Seek God's forgiveness and renewal at the cross. Ask Him, Lord, help me to be fruitful. Help me to be a faithful steward of the truth that You've given me. You've given me so much. I sat under wonderful teaching for decades here or for years or for months. Thank You so much. Help me to just apply one thing this week. Apply myself to sharing the gospel with one person, to to using my gifts to edify one of my brethren in some way, to serve one of my brethren, to sacrifice for somebody, to meet a need, to touch a life. Help me, Lord. Pray that. With that kind of heart, beloved. And be sensitive to the, the, the divine appointments God is already sending your way in the very context that you find yourself in, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your job environment. Are you growing by faithfully appropriating God's Word to your life? Let me ask you this. Are you glowing for Christ by sharing Christ? Are you glowing for Him? Do people know that you are a Christian? Do people know that you're a believer? In your circles of influence. Do people know what you believe? Just basic stuff. The basic gospel message. Listen, if you don't know how to share your faith, there are so many people in this church who would love to equip you and to train you beginning with the elders of this church. We would love to train you, love to equip you. What is the gospel? But you know what? Many of you know the gospel. Even basic terminology. All I know is I was a great sinner and I was going the wrong way. I was in darkness. Oh, just listen to my wicked life. But God saved me. Jesus died for my sins. Listen to me. Even if you share that and you expand upon it a little bit, that is your Christian testimony. That is the message of the gospel, isn't it? The message of good news concerning what Jesus did, that he died for you on the cross. Tell somebody that. Tell them about no matter what they've done, they can be forgiven of their sins. That there's hope for them. Can people see Christ in you? Are you displaying Christ to the world? Are you known for kind deeds? A servant's heart like Jesus in your home, in the church, in the world? Listen, are you glowing for Christ by displaying the gospel in the way that you live? Are you glowing for Him? Royal children, beloved, children of the King, keep glowing for Christ and growing in Christ. Amen? May God help us. Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for the fact that, Lord, none of this that we see here, none of these mandates, none of these exhortations can ever be done by our own moral bootstraps. Lord, we need Your grace. We need the power of Your Spirit. Help us to live abiding in Christ. Help us to remember that if you commanded us to live a certain way as believers, you have empowered us and given us the grace to be able to do that. Oh, Lord, help us to glow for Christ and to grow in Christ together. In Jesus' name, amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible. Copyright by the Lockman Foundation.